0: the story of England's football talent hotbeds. I think goes very well with From Kids to Champions, uh, the history of the FA Youth Cup by me. And I think this is a necessary book, Callum, uh, but I must just um, first and foremostly ask about this. In Heighton, are there people walking around still with Steven Gerrard shirts on their back?
1: Um, I certainly wouldn't, being an Evertonian, but um, you still find kids... Who still, obviously, idolize Stephen Gerrard, and um, you might see the odd older person with sort of an old top on with Gerrard on the back here. And especially sort of in that area of height and where, where he's from. You know, there's still obviously the talk about that's Stephen Gerrard's uncle, or that's Stephen Gerrard's cousin, or you know, they're Stephen Gerrard's dad, that sort of stuff. Or I used to go to school with him, I used to play football with him. Yeah, that's definitely still a feeling in, in, in Heighton for sure.
0: Well, in that case, do we get kind of England 1986 strips with Peter Reed's name on the back?
1: <laughs> yeah right okay yeah so um, I mean maybe that's that's generational I've not seen anyone with with Reid on the back of the kit as such um, but of course it's the same just on the the blue half of and um, maybe they're different generations like the older um, but they obviously idolise yeah. Peter Reed and there's obviously the same thing there of yeah I grew up with Peter Reed or yeah I used to play football with Peter Reed and you know <laughs> it's funny how many people claim to have um, played football with these with these people but. And it isn't yeah, just—it's not just
0: football. It's not just football. It's comedians and um, cast and the Lars came yes. out of heightened. It is a—it's a hotbed of cultural talent uh, and a hotbed yes. of football talent. However, given that this will go out around the time that the England World Cup provisional squad is named, I can only mm-hmm. count one Scouser—the yeah. Liverpool-trained Everton playing for Connor Cody. Is the only uh-huh. scouser. It seems to be like he's going to be taken along as a mascot or a token scouser. Why is there only one?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so, Connor Cody isn't even... I think he's, he's from just outside Liverpool. I think he's from more St. Helens, and so on the outskirts. Um, obviously, whether Alexander Arnold gets in, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the, the story of the book, almost, that over the years, the last 20 or 30 years or so, there's been a bit of a decline in those type of people and players reaching the, the top levels and, you know, the England squad itself, um, not many scouts are about. Even if you look in the, you know, the Liverpool and Everton teams themselves, there's maybe not many um, who actually break through. Um, obviously in Everton, you've got maybe Amy Gordon, Tom Davis, Connor Cody, if you want to kind of include them in that bracket. Maybe in Liverpool, just Alexander Arnold and, and Curtis Jones, who've kind of broke through. So, yeah, there's definitely a noticeable decline in that. Um, and we're seeing that at the, the top levels. I think... From what I can see, maybe the sort of football league still seems to have a lot of uh, Scousers playing it in those sort of leagues. I think maybe the difference in football style and the football culture between the leagues might have something
0: to, to answer for there. Well, there's a there's a line in this book, which is, I mean, you know it's fantastic because you wrote it. You spent four years on it, or at least you had the idea yeah. four years ago. It's published by Pitch. Is it a Duncan Ulner cover?
1: Um, it is, yes. yes.
0: Uh, as, myself as it... and
1: Duncan worked on that.
0: Yeah, because you what? When what happens is pitch have, if it's about a subject that is more than one person, they have kind of a montage bleeding into something, and and this cover is fantastic. So Will Zaha, thank you very much. Uh, Jaden Sancho, more on whom later. Is that Emil Smith Rowe and Abby Ezi at the top? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then that bleeds into a chalked-on wall uh, with the gold frame, and the gold frame is only two thirds there. So yeah. That's extraordinary. Um, do you know where this picture was taken?
1: I don't. I it's a picture I found actually online, and I sort of had the idea for that as a bit of a background. And you know, with Duncan on it, and sort of putting those plays into it as well. I I have a feeling that the picture is actually from the northwest, oh. um, whether it's Liverpool or Manchester, I'm not too sure. Um, but I thought it. I just wanted to get the idea of you know that sort of. You know, street football, the gritty, and you know what football is all about, really, playing in the streets. And you know, as, as, a, as a kid playing against those type of goals, I think is something that maybe we can all sort of relate to. Or I know I kind of people that I was
0: growing up with. I was phenomenally lucky because when I joined my <clears throat> primary school in 92, they didn't have a sports club, they just had an open playground. And by the time that I'd become eight or nine, we had the sports court, basketball, football, British Bulldog. I remember being told off for spitting. I don't think I've ever spat since I was nine. Um by Mr and I remember it was Mr. Jewell, Danny Jewell, who was very harsh, but fair. Uh and one of the themes of the book is great teachers. But can I start with a, a question that is slightly unfair because this book is about hotbeds and the the streets, the estate. Someone at a posh private school like Dapo Afolayan, who was Bolton's Player of the Year last season. Dapo went to Toronto. He went to Loughborough University. uh, And for two years as a teenager, he was at my old school, which is a very posh school um, in uh, leafy Hertfordshire. Um, Patrick Bamford is the, the obvious example who turned down Harvard to play for Chelsea. He never played for Chelsea. Will Hughes went to Repton. So it's difficult I've been thinking about how to ask this question and I don't know if you get this question a lot Callum Murray but can someone at a posh private school who has the same great teaching and the same hunger to succeed as a Jaden Sancho from an estate in Kennington not also be praised for their elite status
1: Of course of course I think they can and you know they would have different advantages that somebody from these states like Jaden Sancho um, would have. But Jaden Sancho might have his own advantages against uh, maybe someone from the, you know, more affluent background. I I wouldn't count those people out. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure those players that you've mentioned there have got their free merit and hard work and a drive to succeed. Um, and I'm sure that's been instilled in them through their school, through the teachings, through the maybe the mentors that they've had growing up. But yeah, I mean in no way is the book meant to say that you know people from more affluent areas can't make it to the elite levels because I don't think that would be true yeah. um, I think we might even see more of that in, in the future you know potentially as well we'll see how football develops but you know there's a lot of money in it and depending on how more scientific it gets and more data driven and you know sort of maybe more fine tuned you know people who can afford to have these extras and training these extras might have an advantage over someone who couldn't whether that's having nutritionists hired for them by parents, or being sent to a personal trainer three, two or three times a week, um, on top of the coaching and training, you know, I think maybe as football goes more in that route, maybe those those more affluent people might have a, a really distinct advantage. And obviously, if you're coupling that with having that drive and determination, then I think that would be a bit of a powerful combination.
0: Yes, thank you for that. There's a, a very good comparison which you make about 98% of the way through the book to go by Kindle. Right. And I, th- I hoped you'd have done it earlier because Silicon Valley, you have to have a master's yes. degree or a PhD. If you are an elite footballer, you can go in, like Raheem Sterling did, at 15, or this Arsenal kid, No, I can't remember his name. The, the guy yes. who's just made his debut at 15, is he a cage uh-huh. footballer, a street footballer, and a canopy product, Granite Xhaka's great hope?
1: Yeah, I'm not too sure about his... Background as such. I think. I don't think he's South London. I think he's maybe more North North London. Um, I mean, it's obviously an incredible age to to make a a debut. I mean, there's a debate as to whether he should have done or not. But maybe that that's for another time. I mean, through the book and the research I've done, I, I think it's better to have a balance of between academy and street, um, and maybe about getting that balance right. But yeah, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on on his background. If I was to guess. I would guess he would he would have maybe had the balance correctly. I still think he's playing for a school and things like that. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen on social media, and I mean, I any Maybe fifteen-year-old lad from that part of the world. Maybe he is also out playing football with his with his mates the, um, on the streets.
0: Yes, um, and TV. you you mentioned Wayne Rooney and Phil Foden, two players who completely yeah. bypassed <clears throat> youth football and were in the senior team at mm-hmm. sixteen. Uh, Wayne Rooney was Croxteth, uh Heighton is uh, Stephen Gerrard, and so many others. Uh, mm-hmm. But you call. Certainly, um, I, I thought of it as Wall's End, the Wall's End Boys Club, the hotbeds yes. of old England, albeit Jordan Pickford and Jordan Henderson uh, from the northeast are going to, all things being equal, to Qatar. Um, but these hotbeds of old England are driven by, you call it pub culture, and as someone who grew up as a middle-class, fourth-generation Jewish immigrant, who went to Hebrew school on Sundays and synagogue on Saturdays. Football didn't really figure so much in my life, nor did the public house. But because you have the first person research to back this up, the nature of pub culture in your lifetime has wound down. So rather than go over what pub culture is, can something replace it? You make the argument that it can.
1: Um, In in sort of making that point in the book, I mean, it maybe wasn't so much... Pub culture, but more pub football. Uh, a lot of, I mean, pub culture is obviously dwindling, sort of, especially around here um, in Liverpool. And you know, the old pub football teams of of years gone by, who were winning national cups, and you know, there, there was sort of there's a real respect given it if you sort of were to play for one of the the bigger pub teams in, in the area. Um, and you know, I think. As children were growing up, they would see their dads or uncles or you know all the cousins playing for these teams, and I think that is maybe where a lot of children you know may, maybe got that love of football and they go and watch them and maybe playing on the sidelines kind of thing. And I just I, I feel that around here, um, especially that was, I know maybe it was play things that maybe lit the, the torch paper for for these young kids to get into football and want to play football and you know pass through the generations as maybe pop culture is dwindling. Maybe, you know, generations don't get to see that anymore. And I, I, I just wonder if, OK, if, if maybe they're not seeing the dads playing, the uncles playing, the older cousins playing, if there's not that real culture and football and culture being maintained around here, do they look elsewhere? Uh, do they maybe find other interests early on? Whereas maybe in years gone by, they would, you know, be carted up on a Sunday morning to go and watch the dad play for the Eagle or whatever it might have been. And that's where they, you know, fall in love with football.
0: And did this did this happen to you? Did you have to do that?
1: No, it did happen to me, no. Um, there was lots of pubs, sort of, around where I grew up. I mean, to be fair, around where my dad grew up, he, he was from the Bluebell, uh, the same estate as, as, as Gerard and Nugent and all those places that I mentioned. Um, there was the famous pub, the Bluebell, there. There was more, the Quiet Manor and other pubs. And my dad, did, he didn't play pub football. Um, but where I lived, the street I lived on was a is a dead end, and um, just sort of one row of houses opposite us is trees, so we had a lot of space to play football as a, as a, as a child as well. As were, so we were always out in the street just playing football anyway, so I, I think that's where my sort of football and culture, or, or sort of background sort of come from, just kind of always being out in the street and having that opportunity to, to yeah. be out there, and I also live very close to, to the school field, which was always handy growing up too.
0: This, this book will chime with um, hopefully a thousand people who buy it if it's like my book there's a print run of a thousand please get this book uh it's got michael beale in it more on whom shortly but i just wanted to wrap up the first chapter or the first substantial chapter in one question do heighten's footballers dance like they do in rio or rosario they don't ah.
1: Unfortunately. <laughs> i've not seen many people dance around heighten maybe not yeah,
0: maybe that's the footballer culture. Well, so so the the footballers of Hin are distinguished from uh, the favelas of Rio and the barrios of Rosario. Um, but the hotbed, the true hotbed, uh, you say, is South London, which seems much like... I don't know if you've read Michael Cox's book about football tactical history.
1: Is, is that the, the, mix the Mixer? The Mixer. Uh,
0: yeah. And I can't yeah. remember if it's in the mix or, or Zonal Marking. I think it's Zonal Marking, but he concludes that... British football has bought in talent from everywhere else. What seems to have happened with street football and and especially YouTube in the last 20 years is that organically football has changed in this country from the old hotbeds to the new style of street and cage football, and you get that across really well. And the elite clubs must be trying to mesh that with, Brexit permitting, talent from Brazil like Richarlison, talent from Argentina... Uh, like or Uruguay, like Suarez.
1: Yes, obviously it, it'll be interesting to see how Brexit maybe impacts this, and I think that's uh, one of the things in the book that you know maybe there's a big opportunity for clubs in this, and, and you know from the lessons in the book to you know lo- look in the right places, and you know maybe, maybe we, we kind of have the world footballers, but in the capital city, maybe they don't need to look elsewhere. Maybe they can, if they just look in the right places. They can get these type of players that you would find in South America or other parts of the world, and I think that's the beauty of South London as a hotbed. It's, um, yeah, in, in chapter two, I kind of talk through a lot of the different types of hotbeds throughout the world. I think London and South London sort of is almost a, an amalgamation of, of all those world hotbeds and sort of draws together, it's, you know, their best bits.
0: And with international football, you've seen Amanda Brocher in Albania. We're gonna have. South London taking on the world, the World Cup in a couple of World Cups time because of the rules about nationalities. I mean, most of the World Cup's footballers, not just in England, they're all going to be from South London because they'll declare for, I don't know, Kosovo or Gibraltar or Australia. Do you foresee that happening?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, Nigeria didn't qualify, but they would have had two starters, Joe Ariba on one side and Admola Luckman on the other, who are both South Londoners. Obviously, you've got Zahar with Ivory Coast. Um,
0: Lamptey at Ghana I think,
1: yeah there's the young boy who plays for Columbia, I think he plays for Brighton as well I can't think of his name off the top of my head Is it he, I think he was, he was no. born in um, Spain but then moved uh, over to South
0: London um, oh I do know there. who think you think mean. He went, yes. yeah he went through Charlton's Academy his name escapes me but um, yeah so I mean you've got him for
1: Columbia so yeah, I mean, that maybe just shows the power of, of the hotbed. I, I, I don't know that yeah, this is maybe a hotbed of world football. It is. Just, there is. Not just for English football.
0: There's something in the water. Uh, Calamari has written the story of England's football talent hotbeds. Where did the seed of this idea come from?
1: Yeah, so it was about maybe four years ago, and with being from Heighton, as I said earlier, there was always the talk of like, oh, Peter Reed grew up there or Stephen Gerrard grew up there, and you no. Know, he's from this place, he's from this place. So I kind of always had a bit of an idea of you know what a hotbed kind of was um, and that maybe it was one. Um, and then I read an article about four years ago um, on the Kinetic Foundation, which is an absolutely amazing charity. They do amazing work and are very successful in on and off the pitch sort of actions. And I, I speak very highly about them in the book. Um, I read an article about them. I think it was maybe in the Guardian or the Times maybe it's it, i don't know it sort of piqued my interest a bit and I, I thought there's maybe a theme here there's maybe something in this um and harry Akinetic, kinetic and um, was interviewed in that article was the first person i spoke to for this whole book the whole idea you know maybe he, if he would have declined my offer the book wouldn't have happened who knows but thankfully he didn't and he was unbelievably helpful and i just sort of seen that okay maybe something's happening here and then the more I, I looked into it, and the more I looked at the players, and the more I looked at the themes, I thought, you know, there's definitely something happening here. Um, and obviously, trying to compare it back to my own thoughts and reflections and experiences of and um, I thought, yeah, there's there's more to this, and it sort of just grew organically um, from that.
0: And there are there are several themes that I imagine you will talk about uh, in other interviews, which is code for I'd love to talk to you about them, but we have. So pressed for time, because this could be a two-hour conversation. Are you doing much other press for this book?
1: Yes, we've got a few a few more um, podcasts. Who with? Which one? We've got the Josh Q podcast um, next week. HLTCO mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I think that's the um, following week. Um, I'm doing Talk Radio Europe tomorrow morning, which will be exciting.
0: I hope you do. We're talking on the day that BBC Local Radio has... To use the common parlance, destroyed the prime minister, um, <laughs> and it was. It's, and yes, I, I know what you. I can imagine what you'd think of the Conservative Party, but this is a. This is not a political book, which is brilliant. It's no. a sociological book and a psychological book, but I don't think it's very political. Certainly, I came away not really thinking it was.
1: Yeah, no, of course I. I, I would. I think maybe things are too divisive these days. I would try and stay away from being divisive. You know, polarizing people or whatever, so yeah, I've tried to stay away from politics and maybe football politics as well.
0: Excellent. Well, there will be talk in these podcasts about flair and grit. These are that's mm-hmm. basically flair plus grit equals elite footballer, plus, of course, tons of luck. Uh, for you, I wanted to talk about Simon and Patrick who were mentioned on the dedication page because what I like to do in the football library, and you do get your football library card. Uh, with Harry from Kinetic upon it unless you want another figure on your football library card
1: yes there might might be a couple of others Simon and Patrick I have known for maybe six years now Uh, maybe Patrick actually maybe more towards seven or eight Um, Simon maybe six Um, so Patrick I met through a a close friend of mine Sean um, as they were playing um, for the same football team so the satellite League team I went to watch a game one day they were playing I got in speaking with Patrick who was sort of running the team he sort of asked if I would be willing to help him run the team I I, I was injured at the time so I was um, definitely looking to to sort of stick around football and stay in football so I I took on that that job with him of running the team and we ran it together for maybe five or six years Um, Patrick was a UEFA journalist until very recently and sort of uh, and had been for, for a while um, so he was in football and working in football and things. So obviously, that interested me. And yeah, he, he just became a, a good friend and a good guide and a good mentor and in all things, um, not just sort of you know, work based, but life based and, and other areas as well. So he became a close friend and he actually introduced me to Simon um, as a way to try and get me sort of into the football industry um, after I'd finished my masters. So Simon is Simon Clifford. I don't know if, if you've heard of Simon. Yeah, I have Clifford. heard of Simon
0: Clifford either through the book or through other research yeah
1: yeah so Simon he, he famously brought over futsal into, yes. to England through his Brazilian research and the soccer schools and things like that and you know was the owner and manager of Garth and with Clyde Wood at Southampton and um, so yeah I have sort of known Simon now for maybe six years five six years and he's become a you know a close friend and mentor and, and guide um, really career wise and obviously helped a lot with this book and yeah, and, and sort of the whole journey that I've been on, really, sort of, in my career.
0: A, yes, a very, very famous figure who um, is one of these many unsung heroes, like the Kinetic Foundation, who have... Kinetic try and build the man. If they go into football, great, yes. but um, there are so many different things to do. I mean, you do quote the, the dropout rate, right? people who go through elite academies and get stymied. But there are so many in this community outreach chapter. And the biggest praise I always give is anthology worthy. So I would put that in a football library anthology. And I've read lots of books in the last two and a half years. And this community outreach chapter, because it it can work for anything, computer coding or uh, being a police officer. It just so happens that you're talking about football and engaging people through football. I enjoyed especially learning about the Lambeth Tigers. Tell yes. me about this multilingual coach that you witnessed. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was very
1: impressive. I mean, as someone who only speaks one language and maybe doesn't speak it too no, it's well... it's two.
0: It's two. English I, and Scouts.
1: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it's just Scouts, maybe not English. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was very impressed. And I think, as I mentioned in the book, sort of Highton and Nosley in the area I grew up in is not really diverse at all. It's sort of... I think it's 99% white Catholic is maybe sort of a... Maybe not too far from the truth. Um, so, to be in South London and visit those areas, and whenever I, whenever I was to go to South London, I'd stay for a few days at a time and I'd be visiting sort of the Lambeth Tigers football camps at half term. Um, walking around South London, I'd, I'd noticed how, how different it was to, to where I grew up. You know, you see these children turn up to the half term camps, and you can maybe tell that maybe they're not from the most affluent backgrounds, and, you know, maybe they're quite shy at first. and... And they might be coming in in singles kind of thing, not with any friends. And there obviously, there's, there's language barriers there. And I mean, I don't know their backgrounds. They might have only arrived in the country very recently. I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, it was it was really amazing to see to see that coach speak to different children in their own language. And I think, as as I mentioned that in that chapter, it's how important that can be to have somebody there um, for you like that, who you sort of see yourself in almost. And you saw you did see that the children sort of lights up when they realised. He's told me, oh, he's a bit of a reflection of me, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just some kids might miss out on that, and heads might drop, and they might sort of drop out of football or drop out of such sort of I don't know charities or groups and clubs because they don't feel that they are reflected or that they're welcome or that it's for them. But to have to have that coach there who would speak to one guy in Portuguese and the other in another language, the other in English and. Even as much as in English, but in their sort of their English, if, if you know what I mean. So, you know, not, not sort of have any sort of power, sort of struggle over them or whatever, but to speak to them at their level and using their own sort of cultural language and, and street language, maybe as, as you might put it. But yeah, it was just, it was really imp- impressive to see, and I could see firsthand the effect that it had on the children, and they sort of almost like skipped away, kind of thing, and got straight back into the football. Uh, whereas, nice. you know, yeah, if, if things were different and that child was struggling and that, that coach wasn't there or, you know, it was in a different setting, you know, maybe that kid might not have turned up the next day.
0: And yeah, you know, that would like, for life, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly,
1: and that might sound dramatic, but I think that's maybe the effect that it
0: had. And one of the studies you, and there are a lot of studies in this book, so yeah. I, I thought JSTOR's going to get a lot of use, that's your <laughs> subscription, um, that one of the, the points you make from the, this academic uh, corpus which is a word I've not used in about 15 years, uh, is uh, that the number one thing is the teacher. But the best teacher is often your peer. So if you are going to Rio or Rosario or the banlieue of Paris, it's your, your mates that are the best teachers, even if they're kind of three years older. So Wayne Rooney became yes. England's top scorer because of the kids he grew up playing with in Croxteth when he was 10 or 11. And so I wanted to link that to what you say is the celebrity status of the kid in France. Best symbolised, I think, through the symbol of Paul Pogba, one of the richest footballers in recent years, although involved in some legal trouble at the moment. So do you think Paul Pogba got that celebrity status through mates or because of the teaching that he had? Um,
1: What do you mean celebrity status as... Football he is now, or growing up around? Growing up, because it's stage, obvious yeah. that his,
0: his status as a, a pro, a celebrity pro, is because he had that kind of environment before he yeah. went to Man United.
1: Sort of in those areas, in Paris, there seems to be definitely an image to play football in the cages, and the best ones are often the ones who would have the best trainers on, the best clothes on, and be the best players. And I think just with that becomes this sort of celebrity status, this respect, you're almost on a bit of a pedestal and I think the, the others, maybe whether they're younger or not, or, you know, trying to compete with them, they sort of look up to that and think, okay, I want to I want to be like that. Um, and that's only gonna push you on, I think. Whether they aim for the celebrity status or aim to be good at football, who knows. Mm. Um but that that that's definitely the case for, for maybe Pogba and, and, and then the other players who grew up in those areas that the image seems to be a big thing in those sorts of concrete
0: courts in Paris. To you know who plays, who plays good, who looks good. Yeah, you, yeah. you make the, the apt comparison with clash culture and uh-huh. um, rap battles, which I don't know if it's been made before, but it's brilliant. And credit to you for that. Um, you. This this nature of football passport, which means that you can get get up and get out, or get out and get up, was uh, the phrase you use, or Scott Sellers used having that football passport is great because you then go to a professional academy and everyone else has a football passport. So you're in the same kind of hotbed environment that all these kind of PhD quants from Stanford and Harvard and Yale when they're going to Palo Alto to work for Google or Facebook, they all have the same passports.
1: Yeah, it, um, yeah the, the ability to get up and get out and sort of almost break the barriers you know, that you might see as holding you back or disadvantages that you couldn't overcome, and um, all of a sudden your sort of maybe on a bit of a level playing field. You've, you're sort of in, and um, you're in football. Uh, the, the, the football passport um, that I maybe talk about in, in the book is is maybe more at, at the street level, maybe similar to the respect and that celebrity status, but the ability to to move around and go to different areas and test yourself against the better players with the idea of this football passport. In, in terms of you know some. Uh, some lads children from one estate would not be able to go to another estate you know due to sort of clashes gang wars whatever that might be having this football passport maybe works in two ways yeah maybe sort of that along the line it gets you into that area where okay you're in the academy now that's your football passport to get out and go to your surroundings but there's also this idea of the football passport that maybe gives you a bit of safety in going to these other places going to these other estates testing yourself against better footballers and um, whereas Maybe if you were not known as a footballer, um, and I used sort of quotation marks in my fingers to say that. But yeah. if you weren't known as the footballer of your area, maybe you wouldn't be able to go and step foot in those other estates, you know, for for, for safety reasons. So that football passport allows you to do that. And it allows you to improve and you know play against other people and test yourself against the best of other areas.
0: I don't think we're going to have time to talk about class, the fact that there is so much money in football and people uh-huh. in suits and corporate boxes are getting the money from this human zoo of footballers, but that is an idea in this book. Uh-huh. I do just want to mention the best line in the book, which I'm sure you did this accidentally, although being an Evertonian fan, uh, you might have had a little nip at Luis Suarez, the Gara Charua. I think it's Charua, yes. it could be Charua. Yes, I think one one or the other.
1: Yeah. I think you'll go with... Whatever you think's best.
0: But he said You said uh, the nature of getting under your skin and anything mm-hmm. to do with skin and bite and kind of fierce will about Luis Suarez. But he, he, apparently he's a nice guy. He's a nice Christian family man who just yeah. get, becomes a knob on the football pitch.
1: Whenever I've seen him off the pitch in the stands watching with his with his son and I think I've seen videos of maybe Messi and Messi's son and stuff, he seems very personal, he seems very nice. I have Obviously when he played Liverpool, I have not heard any stories of him up to no good around the city or anything, so I'm sure he is a, a nice a nice guy um, maybe some questionable decisions um, on the pitch he's made in the past but um, maybe that is that character where it's when you're on the pitch and you know, we go and get stuff kind of thing, this switches on and you maybe become a different beast, but that's the beauty of those type of players from there We'll,
0: we'll, we'll finish in Britain, I just wanted to ask you firstly, uh, if I got a ball can we play head tennis? Two-touch head tennis? Yes even Let's with play. the, the farrago around dementia and heading the ball, how about just keeping it in the air with any yeah, part of your body?
1: It doesn't need to be your head, head tennis. If that's, just, if that's just the name. We can, we can play with any part of the body. That's all good.
0: Oh, great. Um, and we can play in the kind of sports arena slash wall that is on the cover of your book, Something in the Water, the story of England's football talent hotbed. This gangster mentality... I think that's what the book should have been called. Obviously, Something in the Water is more sellable. But Michael Beale, who seems to be the unheralded genius behind English football at the moment, once uh, in his players, and we might see this in QPR. I don't know if you've been watching QPR this season, but are you seeing a gangster mentality? They did beat Watford 3-2 the other week, so they got away with three points.
1: Yeah, I, firstly, I think I'd like to say Michael Beale is an amazing person. He helped a lot. He was more than willing to help, and he's a very, very, very nice guy. Um, his CV is maybe unrivalled for somebody um, of his age and come from where he come from to you know go to um, Brazil and to be up at range, be at Liverpool, and do, and do what he has done is unbelievable. Um, that gangster mentality was a very interesting point, and yeah, I, th- I think he, he is so right that you know we want this gangster mentality, but then we almost kind of drive it out of them. So you know, where's the balance? I think. I don't know if he, if we will see it or how it will affect his coaching of QPR players, but I think the QPR players are very lucky to to have him as the coach and especially the youth players coming through. I believe that he will be great for them and, you know, maybe he will teach them that gangster mentality and or at least sort of nurture it in the right way um, so that it helps them, you know, reach the, the highest levels of the game possible and mm-hmm. um, rather than hinders them. You know, mm-hmm. when some people might see this gangster mentality and might try and get him out the club. Um, hopefully when Michael Beale sees it, which I'm sure he will, he'll be able to nurture it and you know, guide it in the right direction for these sort of young players. But I wish him the best of luck at that job. I think he's, do- he's doing good so far, and yeah, I- I'm really excited to see how it goes for him.
0: Did you tell him to sign a defender from Yorkshire? Because uh, Walker, Stones, Maguire, that's Sheffield, Barnsley, Sheffield. Uh, yeah. you also say, and I didn't know this, and I will look at this, people from South London pull out of tackles more. The Northern people.
1: Yes, but not my words, the words of a player I spoke to. It's just not their game. He, I think that the player said, I think he was a, a football league player. Yes, I'm trying to think who he was for at the time. Um, I think it would be football league. I think he said that it's just not their game. It's not that they're weak or that they're scared to tackle, but it's just never been in their nature to go into those type of tackles. People from Yorkshire, North West, wherever, where they, you know, they're playing that type of game, playing on fields, flying into slide tackles. That's what they grew up doing. The lads from South London, playing on cages, you don't really slide tackle. Um, so, yeah, it's just not something they've grew up with or practised or something that's sort of respected or yes, um, sort of we'll get a clap up here. You know, a kid flying into a slide tackle on Saturday morning, will get a big round of applause from the parents and his teammates will love it. You know, down Excellent. there maybe doing a piece of skill might might get the, the people excited.
0: There are a couple of ideas that you will talk about elsewhere, promoting this book, Something in the Water. Callum Murray is the author. Um, the best thing to come out of Heighton, uh, at least since the Lars debut album, which is amazing. The deluxe edition especially. Um, but you, you give ideas to coaches or teachers and you even say, well, thank you to the amateur dads who are coaching but coaching needs to be elite level Uh, you talk about mixing age groups and also white games and black games so in about 30 (laughs) seconds each can you nail down what those are
1: yeah so the white games are the sort of rules the structures that we might impose and that's playing the game of the rules and sticking to the rules and being a bit maybe orderly the black games are the ways that we explore and maybe have that chaos break bar, break barriers break boundaries look to explore ourselves, you know, go and see how far we can push it, push the limits a
0: bit. That's the, the Black Games. And that, that that is where growth happens. That's such a significant book. I think your next book will be Beyond Football. It did remind me of Matthew Syed, and you quote Syed a bit, and you talk about Reading, table tennis, uh, which is where Syed learned. Uh, is there another book in the works?
1: At the moment, working on, no, in sort of the ideas, and. Um, Yes, I think another book would be in the works at at some point. Um, I've had a a few ideas sort of floating around as to what that might be, but yeah,
0: there's nothing being worked out of yet. Yeah, it just reminded me because Matthew Syed, who started with this, I don't know if you've read his book, The Greatest, which is uh, a compilation of his columns about sport, and since Mm -hmm. then he's gone on to write rebel ideas and black box thinking and more political and, and... psychological ideas and he presents the show sideways so i think football is limiting you uh and much like the greatest authors you start with football and then take it out wide so i I think there's scope for another book
1: thank you thank you we'll see we'll see i'm not an author um i might not be an author um in the future but yeah it was was definitely great to do the research for this book in the process and you know, I've, I've learned a lot and I think there's a lot that the book can, can help with and, you no know, impact and, and change it might have. Um, you'll have to see if another book um,
0: mm. will happen. Also, but, what, I, what I like, by the way, is that you, you take on the attributes of an athlete. You do say that you're working on this book and you're in such a great flow state. You're in the zone. But You look up and then a few hours have gone and that's when you know. Yeah. So you felt like a pro athlete or an elite young athlete at that moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe so. I think I think yeah, flow flow is not just just for the elite athletes. No, that's that's for anyone. And yeah, for, for sure, in moments of writing this, I was in in flow, and maybe that there's other similarities You know, you have to have good habits, and maybe you have to maybe you have to make sure you were you were getting things done and doing it to the best of your ability and um, to the highest standards.
0: Correct. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe maybe the closest I
1: get to a, a, being an elite athlete was. Um, writing this
0: one of the themes of the book which we couldn't touch on which you may touch on elsewhere is healthy competition and I approve of that not everyone deserves a medal the whole point is trying to get a medal because there's only three of them and if you're third you try and get second second you try and get first Um, can I finish because this will go out near the time the World Cup provisional squad is announced would it not make sense to take Jaden Sancho to the World Cup A because of his knowledge of the German team albeit Jude Bellingham is there now but also just, he'll know loads of these people. And it's great for South London or West London to be represented by such figures, although he did miss a penalty last year, which should not count against him.
1: Yeah. Yes, I, I would definitely be in the Jadon Sancho in camp. Um, not just for the book, but, but I think he is the of the spot. I was surprised he wasn't included in uh, the squad for the, for, the, for the last round of the Nations League games. Um, I think he offers something different, as you say. He has overseas experience, you know, which not many of the England squad have, um, so that's maybe a different edge to him. Maybe the fact that he missed the penalty in, you know, the last tournament might spare him money. Maybe he feels he has a point to prove. He's in form. He seems to be playing well. He seems to be growing well on this Sort of Ten Hag. Yeah, I would like to see him there.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you'd like to see Trent Alexander-Arnold there, perhaps, but. I think the ship might have sailed. Potentially. Which is crazy, but it just shows that international football and domestic football are different and that you think different things yeah. are demanded. But will you be watching this World Cup? 100%. Ah. Yes. Um, because there's only one every four years. Would you want to go to Qatar?
1: I don't think I would go, but I'll be watching
0: it. Yeah, which is perfectly fine. I disagree entirely with your stance and I take the Eric Cantona view. But there will, there will be other occasions. It'll be in America in four years' time, uh, which will be fun. And actually, that, that's where we'll finish. Because America's sport has the collegiate system, uh-huh. do you think that cage football and street football stands in for the collegiate system? Or do you think English footballers might benefit from going over, doing a degree... Uh, and then entering the football workforce at 21, perhaps doing university on top of like loan moves to non-league clubs?
1: Yeah, I am not sure in terms of developing the greatest foot- technical footballer, in terms of developing the person and setting them up for life and setbacks and if things go wrong and you don't make it or you don't get to where you want, I think the collegiate system is, is great and definitely has its advantages there. Whether it creates a more technically gifted football, I'm, I'm against sort of what street arcade type football might be. Um, I'm not so sure. But in terms of developing the all-round person, there's got to be something in that, that. There must be, and you know, football's a, a, a short career. Um, if they can get a degree, um, have more strings to the ball, develop themselves as a as a person and an athlete, then yeah, more power to them. And I think that's that's got to be an advantage.
0: Whether you're from Croydon or Croxteth, there are multiple paths available. Calamari's book, Something in the Water, is out now.
1: Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. This is actually my first podcast, so...
0: Oh, wicked. Well, thank you for yeah, warming yeah. up with me. Thank you so much. Just Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library!